Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we want to thank you this morning for your word. Words of encouragement, words of hope, words of challenge. God, your word brings life. Lord, we want to pray this morning as we enter into this ancient story, the story of Ruth and Naomi. Lord, we just want to pray that you would speak to us. Would you challenge us where we're at? Would you encourage our hearts? God, would you give us the courage to walk out of this place and apply whatever it is that you call us to today? We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. It's something different. You know, it's good sometimes to stand and be reminded of the gift of God's word. And there's moments in the Old Testament where you know, they hadn't actually read the law of God for a long time and the whole assembly stood for hours while it was read. There's something really uh, powerful about being uh, impacted and have the words of the scripture just wash over you. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be working through this ancient story in the book of Ruth. And uh, I hadn't read the story of Ruth for a really long time until... I was preparing for this sermon series and was just reminded again of, one, the ordinariness of the story. It's, just, it, it, it's an ordinary story in a sense. It's compacted into four chapters, so it feels like, like a, uh, you know, a highlight reel. But that's not the way it works, and it's not the way life works for us, is it? We've, they compacted your life into four stories. It would sound way more adventurous than you probably feel it is, but that's what... The story of Ruth has been compacted into four chapters. But as you work through it, you see in many ways it's a very ordinary story of loss, of brokenness, of grief, of pain, of heartache, of love, of redemption, of restoration and of renewal. And so I encourage you, this is a good journey to do over four weeks. If you leave it at Ruth chapter one or chapter two, you're going to miss the most beautiful story. Strangely, as you read this, uh, God is hardly mentioned in this story, apart from being a reference as uh, the, the one that they worship. God doesn't feature significantly in the story as a character, even though his story permeates the whole book of Ruth. But we're just going to jump chapter by chapter. And so today, Ruth chapter one, and I want to ask you the question as we start off, that is, when have you found yourself in a really barren place? When have you found yourself in a really barren place. You, you might think of it as, as your desert experience, and that moment where everything in life was falling apart. It might for you have been a, a place of pain. It might for you. It might not be past tense. It might be present tense. It might be a place of pain. It might be a place of great grief. It might be a place of loss, a place of isolation or loneliness, a place of great need, a place of spiritual dryness. When have you found yourself in a barren place? See, all of us in life, through the story of life, will find ourselves in some barren places. Some places where God feels distant, where life feels hard, where pain and grief become our story. And all of these are at work in the first chapter of Ruth. We see it so starkly in in the name that Naomi adopts for herself. If you want to look at the end of Ruth chapter 1, Naomi, who becomes one of the chief characters in this story, uh, renames herself to describe this barren place, this, this season of life that she's lived through. Names are really significant in the scriptures. Like when you read the scriptures, 
What we name someone really matters. You know, when we name our kids now, we sometimes go for like a family name. Sometimes we go for something we like because it sounds good or sometimes we just want to be cool and have a name that no one else has. Like we don't think as deeply on the meaning of names as they used to in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, the meaning of your name was very, very significant. And Naomi means pleasant. Naomi was pleasant. That was her, a name that spoke to her character and her nature. But by the end of it, when she returns to people that she knows and they say, Naomi's here, she says, don't call me that anymore. If you knew what I just walked through, my name is no longer pleasant. My name is bitter. Call me Mara, which means bitter. You see, Naomi and her family have lived through the most devastating time in their story. It was their barren place. I want to ask the question, what leads us to a barren place? And I want to do that by looking at the three main characters that we meet in this first part of Ruth chapter 1. The first is Limelech. Limelech is Naomi's husband and Limelech decides to uproot his family and take them away from Bethlehem, which, interesting in this story, means the house of bread. So Elimelech decides to take his family away from the house of bread in search of bread. There's a famine in the land and so he chases food and well-being for his family. Now, the amazing thing, the book of Ruth only comes as the eighth book in Scripture, not long after the law of Moses is recorded for us. And it's very clear in the law of Moses that there's some places that you don't want to be. Now, if you're part of God's chosen nation, living in his presence and living with his people really matters. But Elimelech chooses to walk away from that. I wonder if you found yourself in the barren place out of desperation. There's been some circumstances in your life, there's been some things going on for you and you've decided to pursue your own journey of seeking that which is better out of desperation. But in doing so, you've walked away from the life that God's called you to live. See, Elimelech uproots his whole family and moves to the land of Moab. Moab wasn't that far from where he lived in Bethlehem. Like It it wasn't far by our standards. It was just past a few state borders, but that is a long way these days, isn't it? But Elimelech makes the journey. In his time, it would have been a significant journey. He takes his wife, he takes his two sons, and they leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, in search of bread. You see, Elimelech finds himself in the barren place because he chooses to walk away out of desperation from the life that God intended for him. And there's significant consequences for Elimelech and his family in walking away from God's story out of desperation. I wonder if today some of us have found ourselves in a barren place because we've made some choices out of desperation. Desperation that, you know, we might actually, desperation for our family or desperation for finances or desperation for health or desperation for a whole bunch of stuff where we've actually chosen to move out of the place that God had for us in search of something better. You know, Elimelech doesn't just leave out of desperation. If you actually read into the context, Elimelech leaves in what could be seen as an act of rebellion. Because to walk out of the space that God had intended for him, even though the place he was at in Bethlehem at that stage was in the midst of of great need, Elimelech's move into Moab is actually a move of rebellion. And it has significant consequence for his family. We've just spent three weeks talking about family house rules and the importance. We've challenged Numerous times now, those of us that are parents here of children about the importance of actually living a life 
that your kids observe and they want to go for, to, to not neglect the years of investment in the faith story of your children. But Elimelech makes a decision to chase bread into Moab and listen to what happens to his boys. His boys decide to then go and marry within the Moabite community. And the Bible's pretty clear that you don't go and actually marry foreigners who are going to take your heart away from the things of God. Elimelech's move is actually a move of desperation and a move of rebellion because Elimelech decides that he actually knows better than God. How often do we decide that we know better than God? All of us at some point, I reckon, have have made a decision that we know better than God. Like that was in, in many ways the first sin of Adam and Eve was a sin of deciding that God didn't have it all together and they knew better. So why listen to his way of doing things? Because it makes no sense to us or it's silly or it's, there is a better way of doing this. God, you're really old school. We've got some new ways of doing this Christian life. And so we're going to go and do it our way. Elimelech decides that he doesn't need to do things God's way. He's going to do it his way. How many of us have found ourselves in a barren place because of a heart of rebellion? I want to suggest a lot of us, you know, we do this thing as humans. We decide that God's way isn't the best way. We, we neglect doing the things that we know are really good to feed our spiritual life and grow our faith and be part of his family. We do our own thing. And then when it's all messed up, we throw it all back on him to fix. It's like, well, God, I, I haven't done the, the things that I know are good for me and are good for my family and are good for my church and good for my community. I've decided that my way was better, that I was wiser, that I had a better path for my life, that my priorities were more important. But now it's all starting to fall apart. God, I really need you. How many of us have done that? My question is, how many of us have found ourselves in a barren place because we've decided in our heart, our heart of rebellion, that we don't need the things of God? And there's very real consequences when we do that. Elimelech's family suffers the consequences of his decision to uproot them and chase bread in the land of Moab. So have you found yourself in a barren place because out of desperation you walked away from God? Or have you found yourself in a barren place because you've made decisions to reject the things of God and do it your own way? See, sometimes we find ourselves in a barren place because of our choices. And sometimes we find ourselves in a barren place not because of any choice made by us. Let's move from Elimelech now to his wife, Naomi. And her story is one of tragedy. As she said, by the end of it, she reflects on this season of her life. She says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter. And Naomi's life is marked by tragedy. Uprooted by a husband to a foreign land where her husband dies. Her two sons marry some Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. I wanted to say Oprah then. <laughs> Ruth and Orpah. And then her two sons die. And so now here's Naomi, away from her home, with no husband and no sons, and in her heart, no hope for the future. See, some of us have found ourselves in a barren place, not because of any decision we've made, but because... Life circumstances have taken some really cool twists for us and we've faced grief, we've faced loss, we've faced tragedy and we found ourselves in that barren place. The third character in the story is a character named Ruth. And I wonder if we find ourselves in the barren place because 
just of life's circumstances, not necessarily tragedy, not necessarily because everything's fallen apart, but just because of life's circumstances. We find out in the story four really important things about Ruth, and stick with me for a minute, because on first uh, kind of saying of this, it sounds terrible, but Ruth was a female Moabite who was widowed and had no offspring. Now, what's that got to do with anything? In the ancient world, that probably placed Ruth in one of the most vulnerable categories that you could imagine. They lived in a very patriarchal society and the little bit we know about the land of Moab and some of the historical work that's been done on it, we're talking very ancient history, there's not a lot of writings from the time. But the little work that we've done suggests that Moabites didn't treat women in the community really well. And so Ruth was a woman we already know from biblical history that that the lands around and the cultures surrounding often set women up to be very vulnerable and some of the most oppressed. But the thing that made it okay was when they were within a family group, whether they were married or had sons, that actually gave them a place within the community of safety and security. But here's Ruth. One, she's a female. Two, she's a Moabite, which the Bible's pretty clear doesn't really have a place in God's community. Three, she's widowed. And four, she has no kids. That is the picture of greatest vulnerability. There's a little twist in this story, which you're going to have to wrap your head around. And I'm not going to do the hard theological work for you this morning. You can do that in your life group. But if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, God in the law says this, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. So even in God's economy, Moab was actually people that lived outside of the covenant plan of God and people that actually, because of the detestable practices and the gods they worshipped, and the story in Deuteronomy goes on to say, because when my people left Egypt, they didn't offer them any bread. Like it's an interesting twist in the story, but here's Ruth, a Moabitess, who's married a Hebrew man, who has now passed away and she has no children. I mean, Ruth didn't choose her story, did she? And many of us haven't chosen our story. But Ruth finds herself in one of the most vulnerable, isolated, marginalised categories that you could imagine. Now here's the amazing thing, and dwell on this for a minute. The eighth book of the Bible is the book of Ruth. The first narrative story we get in the Bible is the story of a female, Moabite, widowed, childless lady who actually becomes one of the heroes in God's story. I'm not taking us to week four yet, but just rest on that and think about how good God is and maybe how the misconception of the way we've drawn ancient culture with modern culture together in creating a narrative that's not helpful. But what we find is God actually cares for people like Ruth. Psalm 68 verse 5 says this, God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Deuteronomy 27, the law continues. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Or the widow. If you want to know God's heart for people like Ruth, it's right there. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. See, God has a special place in his heart for the powerless and the vulnerable. Ruth didn't choose a story, but Ruth finds herself in a very barren place. So when you've been in a barren place, or if you are right now in a barren place, is it because 
you've, done, you've chased something out of desperation? Is it because you've rebelled against God's good purposes for your life? Is it born out of tragedy or is it just circumstantial? You know, you, you're living a life and you look around and think, I didn't choose any of this, but my circumstances have led me to being in a place that is really barren. Well, despite the barren place, the message of today is this, you're invited to come home. You're invited to come home. Verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. There's something to be said about patience in this story. Like Elimelech nicks off with his family to search bread and it all goes pear-shaped, but those that stayed saw that God was faithful and actually provided for their needs. Some, some of us right now, you know, some of us get kind of itchy feet when we sit still for too long. But I want to say there's something to be said about patience and persistence. You know, any of us that have been here at Gateway almost since it started, we knew we had itchy feet in the first two weeks. Revival, we started on May, March 25th. Revival's going to break out by Easter and we were going to have our own channel on the Australian Christian channel by May. Well, revival broke out in service one. It declined by week two. And by the start of 2013, nine months after we started, we were half the size of when we started. So our expectations were actually brought back to greater reality. But can I just say, having persisted and been patient in the journey, those of us that have been here since the start can look back and praise God for his faithfulness to our community. There's something to be said about staying put and doing the hard yards and sometimes walking through the lean years because when you do it, you also get to see the years of harvest. And that's a word of encouragement to someone today. Some of you actually need to sit in the lean years because if you constantly chase the next thing, you'll never sit still long enough for God to prove his faithfulness in your story. So hang around. Hang around. But the story of Ruth is a story of the invitation to come home. And here's the crux. It's a really simple message that I want to give in this this morning and it's this, that no matter where we find ourselves or how we got there, God's always going to invite us to come home. So whatever the barren place looks like for you right now, whether born out of your own stupid decisions, whether born out of circumstances or desperation or just tragedy, God always wants to welcome you home. And the story of Ruth is a story of grace. I'm not going to talk about grace today because I'll ruin week two, three, and four, and it's really hard when you're the first person preaching the series because you want to steal everyone else's material, which is great, except I'm doing two of the next three weeks, so I'm just going to steal my own material. <laughs> But no matter where you find yourselves, God always invites you to come home. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters prepared to return home. There's the overtones of a story that Jesus tells in this, isn't it? The story of a young man who decided that his father's house wasn't the place to be anymore, that there was something much better that he could chase. And so he chases the life and the story and the narrative that he decides is a better life story narrative for him. He says, Dad, I don't need you or your house. I'm sick of all of this. It's rubbish. It's boring. I'm done with you. Give me my inheritance. I'm going to go and chase all the things that my heart has desired. And so the Bible tells us in Jesus' story that this son goes and squanders all that he's got 
on, you know, fast living, fast women and lots of things that actually bore no fruit or contentment or happiness in his life to the point that he looked at all that he'd done and thought, the only thing that my heart yearns for is to be back in my father's house. I yearn so desperately to be back in my father's house that even to be a servant in my father's house. I don't even need to go back as a kid. I'll just go back as someone that works in the house. Working in my father's house is better than the life that I've chosen to do on my own. And Jesus says, so the son decides to return home. But any of us that have walked away from God and made our own decisions to actually tell God that we don't need him anymore and that we've got a better way of doing things and that his way isn't that good after all and there's a life to be lived and so I'm going to go and experience it. Any of us that have done that realise at some point you get to the place where you think, I have no, there's nothing deserving about me that I should be able to return home. And I think one of the things that keeps some of us from returning back to the things of God is our own heart that says, if this was me, if I was God, I wouldn't accept me. Because if, if you knew what I'd done and you knew the way that I'd kind of thumb my nose at the things of God and told him that I didn't need him, if you knew that, I wouldn't accept me. But Jesus says the son decides, well, look, the life that I've written for myself is rubbish. I'm just going to go back and see if that will even just let me work in his house. But as we know, really well-known story, the father hitches up his ancient Middle Eastern dress and runs down the dirty, dusty road and greets his son and says, welcome home. Not as a worker, as my son. And no matter where you found yourself, God wants to invite you to come home. And this morning, I just want to, I've got a couple of little responses this morning, right? This is the first one. So if this is for you, you're going to have to hold on to it because I'm going to tell you at the end what to do with it. But I wonder today if there's some of us here that have spent a whole life deciding that our way is better than God's. By his grace, he wants to invite you to come home. Maybe some of us are here and God wants to invite us to return home. We've been there, we've tasted his goodness and then we decided through destruction or desperation or just our own decision that we knew better than God, that we'd go do our own thing. Well, God wants to invite you to return home. And he wants you to do it with confidence. You know, the Bible says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of what Jesus has done for us. It's an incredible picture that, that God allows us to reject him, rebel against him, thumb our nose at him, tell him to nick off, but then invites us to return and approach him with confidence. The only way we can do that is because of the grace of Jesus. So I wonder today if the message of Ruth chapter one is this, God invites you to come home. So come home. Come back to his house. Come back to his feet. Come back into his presence. Start to realign your life to the things of God or for the very first time, choose to align yourself to the things of God. Don't pursue your own story, your own journey, your own ways of doing things, but allow God to shape your future because there is no better place to be than in the house of God. If you need to come home, I'm, I'm going to pray for you at the end. I want you to hold that in your heart right now because, because I want to bring another challenge out of this story. And I just want to turn my attention to a minute to the story of Naomi. 
Naomi sees her family fall apart. She sees the tragedy that takes hold of her story and she decides it's her time to return home. So she now takes these two daughters-in-law that her sons married, Moabite women, and as she starts to head for home, she says to them, go back. Go back to your mum's house. Hopefully God will be gracious and you'll find another husband that will take you in. Again, very much ancient Middle Eastern culture here that she said, and she says this funny thing in the story, even if I found a husband tonight and we had a son, why would you even wait? You think, that's a bit odd. But there was a cultural thing that, that if, if you lost a husband, there was a, a responsibility on the brother, if there was a brother, to take you in to be part of their family. And so what Naomi says is, I have no more children that could take you in to keep you part of our family. So go back to your family house and just hope that God is gracious to you. But listen to what the scripture said. At this, as they wept aloud, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. I want you to hold on to those words for a minute. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to a people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn my back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. So Naomi says, go home. And Ruth says, no, and clings to her. I've said this a few times recently, so I'm sorry for repeating a theme, but one of my great observations of the last 18 months, not just in the way it's impacted us individually and impacted our church, impacted our community, is that this whole pandemic that we're living through has actually brought to the surface a real um, rise in kind of selfishness and self focusedness and self-preservation. In other words, I'm really worried about what's going on for me. And am I going to be okay? And am I going to be all right? And am I going to be looked after? And am I going to be healthy? And are my rights going to be protected? And, 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 and whatever the narrative is for you, this is, I'm not arguing any side here, but whatever the narrative is for you, so much of the narrative has been about me. Me, 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 me. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be all right? Am I going to come through? Am I going to get what I need? Am I, am I, am I, am I? One of the things God's been speaking to me that's a challenge for us as a church today, right? This isn't, this isn't preacher Andrew, this is pastor Andrew now talking to the people that God's called me to. Okay, so this is, this is something I think God wants to say to us here, Gateway Ormo. It's time to start looking outward again. It's time to actually start focusing not on whether you're going to be okay, but whether your neighbour's going to be okay, whether your family member's going to be okay, whether your workmate's going to be okay. And I'm not just talking about physical need, even though that is what God would want his people to do. I'm now actually starting to talk about the deep spiritual narrative that resides in every person, that God in his wisdom decided that you and I were the ones that were going to share that story. You see, you're not invited to be a person of faith if that's who you are here today. So you can experience the goodness of God and say, fantastic God, how do we make this comfortable for me now until you come again or until you take me so I can then go and be part of this eternal goodness that is what's been promised to me. That's not the way God's intended the story to work. If you're a person of faith, God has put you on mission to actually redeem this planet. You know, when Jesus prays, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says to his people, go, I want you to go. I want you to go share the news. Go tell people, go baptise people. Go tell the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. He doesn't say, sit still and let me do it. He says, go. 
And we walk through a season where so many of us have not been worried about anyone else out there, but just worried about me and my needs. And I reckon God wants to say, now is time to turn around. I've got some work for you to do. There's this beautiful prophetic picture in the prophetic book of Zechariah in the scriptures of the Old Testament. It's probably not one that you've read that often because I I mean, I haven't read it that often. But go to Zechariah chapter eight and read of this beautiful prophetic picture that God has in the heart of his people. And he speaks to Jerusalem and the people of Israel, but it's a prophetic picture for all of us. He says this, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. In other words, his love for you is passionate and strong. I'm consumed with passion. And now the Lord says, I'm returning to Mount Zion and I will live in Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. And this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Now, if you didn't understand any of that, just just close your eyes and imagine this picture for a minute. Once again, old men and women will walk the streets with their canes and will sit together in the city square. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. You ever sat with someone that goes, oh, I wish we could go back to the good old days. I'd love just to live and no locks on the doors and just, just, you picture that kind of peace and prosperity and freedom. This is a prophetic picture that God speaks about what it's like when God is put in charge of all things. People grow to old age and the kids run around the streets at play. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, all this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people, but is it impossible for me? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, you can be sure that I will rescue my people from the east and from the west. I'll bring them home again to live safely in Jerusalem. They'll be my people and I'll be faithful and just towards them as their God. Now, just get the geography out of that story for a minute because it's a prophetic picture of what it's like when God is in charge. There's peace, there's prosperity, there's joy, there's return, there's reconciliation, there's wholeness. It then goes on to say this, many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord of heaven's armies. And to ask for his blessing. And this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In those days, 10 men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew. And they will say, please let us walk with you. For we have heard that God is with you. And that's what God wants to do in and through his church today. He wants people on the outside to see people so consumed with the goodness of God and so overwhelmed with the prophetic picture of what life looks like when God is in charge that they will cling to you because they are so desperate to discover your God. That doesn't happen whenever our eyes are focused on ourselves. But when our heart breaks for those out there that have no concept of God's goodness and love and grace. And so what I want to ask this morning is God calling you to be a Naomi, to allow people to cling to you and you're going to be the one that helps bring them home. Who's clinging to you right now? Or are you so focused on yourself that it's been so long that you've even considered that God might want to use you to see someone else come into his family that you haven't even got a name on your head or a a name on your lips that you bring to God in prayer saying, God, give me an opportunity, use me. 
Let my life be so reflective of your goodness and your grace. Let the story of my life be so compelling that people will want to cling to me. And just as Ruth says to Naomi, I will go wherever you go and your people will be my people. In other words, you're going to drag people in here and say, welcome to your people and your God will be my God. Your God will be my God. Some of us today, the challenge is we need to come home. We've been living in a foreign land for too long and God wants to bring us back into his place. God wants to bring us back to a place where he is number one, where he is the first priority, where nothing else matters more than making him number one. But the second thing he wants to say to us as a church is will you be the Naomi's who let people cling to you and you're gonna help them come home too and discover the God that created them that it loves them, whose heart breaks for them, that they too are going to come and discover what life is like when God is in charge. A place of peace, wholeness, prosperity, goodness, and joy. Who are you going to let cling to you and who are you going to bring home? So my second response this morning, there's three, but just so you can track with me. Third one's the shortest is who are you going to start naming in prayer every day? Who are you going to start inviting? I hope people say to me, well, just when's there a good service to invite people? Man, nothing we're ever going to do here is going to convince someone that God is worth following, but the Holy Spirit, when God gets people into a place, I've seen people sit through, like, I've seen people sit through some of the most jumbled preaching and unclear message and end up on their knees at the front of the church in tears because it's never about people. It's always about people bringing people to a place where the Holy Spirit does his best work. Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to bring to here? Week two, three, and four of the Ruth series as we talk about the grace and redeeming love of God. Who are you going to bring to our carol service to hear of the birth of Jesus, the Saviour, the Messiah, who offers you hope Start looking out, church, and let people cling to you so they can come home. I'm going to pray for you in a minute if that's a challenge to your heart. Finally, finally, there was an ancient ritual that existed when people from outside of the community came into the community. There was a whole bunch of things that happened. If you're a bloke, you get circumcised. If if you were a... you know, just from a foreign land, one of the things they would do was as part of the ritual entrance into the community of God's people, they would immerse you in water and they would baptise you. I just think, I've just been preparing this this week. I was thinking, Ruth's about to step into God's family, God's community. She says to Naomi, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And we don't know, the scriptures don't tell us, but there was high likelihood that at some point there would have been a moment where she declared that by being washed and now immersed into a new community. That is, we still do baptism today and it's a very similar picture, although given a very new narrative. And that is when we as people of faith choose to sign up to Jesus' story for our life, choose to declare him as Lord and Saviour, choose to determine that he actually knows best and we're going to serve his purposes and follow his lead. One of the ways that we declare that is publicly by being dunked in a tank of water that says, I'm now leaving my old story 
I'm getting immersed in the story of Jesus and I'm walking into a new life and a new community. Hey, we've got a church party coming up in a couple of weeks. We, we burst our baptistry last year at the church party. It's made doing baptisms at church a bit hard. Still haven't replaced it, but we're going to find something so that in three weeks' time, Sunday the 28th of November, and this is a little ad at the same time, our end of year church party, one of the best events on our calendar. We don't care if you've been here five years or five minutes. We'd love you to come because it's a night you don't want to miss. We do it just 10 minutes down the road. It's Sunday night, the 28th of November. All the details are on our website. But we're going to hold a baptism service at our church party and some people here are going to get in that tank and declare their faith in Jesus and declare to the family that God's put them in. I'm embracing Jesus' story. I'm dying to my way of doing things. I'm being immersed in his story, into his death, into his resurrection. And part of the picture of baptism is actually an immersion into a new community, community of faith. Now, baptism is not the thing that saves you. Putting your faith in Jesus is the thing that saves you. But baptism is a public declaration of a decision that's already been made. Some of us are here and we've declared our faith in Jesus and we've never been baptised. I want to tell you right now, it's time for you to get baptised. The Bible's very clear. and The Bible in its narrative tells us that when people come to faith, there's not a big gap between them getting baptised because it's actually me saying, I've made the decision, now let me show everyone I've made the decision. If you're here and you've been following Jesus five, five years, five, 50 years, and you keep thinking that you need to be more mature or you need to be a bit further down the track or you need to get everything in order, you've missed the whole purpose of baptism. Because baptism is an act of grace where you go, God, Actually, I'm just going to enter your story, which is a story of grace. Therefore, it's never about me being ready. It's all about me just being willing to follow and receive all that you've done for me. And so here's the challenge. If you've never been baptised, you're a person of faith. Why don't you choose that on the 28th of November, 2021, you're going to declare your faith publicly in Jesus in front of your church family at a great party with great food and a great celebratory atmosphere. And let us all know that you've come home. I want to pray for us this morning and I've given three responses. It's a really bad preaching technique. If you're here today and you've never chosen to put your faith in Jesus, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what decisions you've made, it doesn't matter what choices have led you to where you are now, it doesn't matter how much you've rejected Him or rebelled against Him, He just wants to say, come home. Come and discover the person you were created to be. Come and discover love and grace and forgiveness and hope in measures that you've never experienced before because nothing this world can offer can offer you the goodness that God can. Maybe you're here and you've walked away and today is your invitation back to realign, reaffirm, to reset. God just stands with open arms and says, come home, come home, come home. The minute you turn your affection towards me, I'm just going to hitch up my cloak and I'm going to race down the road to embrace you. That's how desperate God is for you to be part of his family. Now, if you've never made that decision for Jesus today, as we sing this last song this morning, I'm just going to be hanging out the front. A few of our leaders, Justin, whose birthday it is today. Happy birthday, mate. Love to just talk to you about what it is to start the life following Jesus. For the rest of us, I just want to pray a prayer in a minute that God might give you courage to actually start turning outward and start inviting. 
And thirdly, if you know that your time has come to declare your faith in Jesus in baptism as we land this service today, Deb and Cooper are gonna be down the front here. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to get your details. We'll follow up with you. We'll talk to you more about baptism. But we just want you to make the affirmation today that this is your time. And sometimes you've got to do something publicly so you don't walk out that back door and convince yourself of something different. And so I'd love you to come forward and just to let us know today that you want to be part of that baptism service on the 28th. And we'll help make it happen. Why don't we all stand this morning? Lord God, I want to thank you for your grace. Thank you that you call all of us home. Many of us here have just been so blessed to have known your goodness, known your presence, know your favour, God, that you just pour out on your kids. God, but I want to pray this morning for anyone that has never made the decision to put their faith in Jesus, that today might be the turning point of their life. More than that, for those that need to have the courage to admit that they've actually pursued their own ways and their own purposes. God, I want to pray that today would be a reset moment. Lord, I want to pray right now that the courage might grow in people's hearts to make that statement as they move forward to receive you. God, I want to pray for all of us, God. Right now, you're putting names on people's hearts. You're going to put names on their lips as they come to you in prayer. Lord, I want to ask your forgiveness that we've just become so introspective and so self-focused. Lord, that that we put self-preservation over mission. And Lord, I want to pray that you would actually start to draw those in our community that need your love, your grace, your hope. Lord, allow us to be the people that they cling to because they see the difference that God's making in our life. God, they, they see not fear, they see hope. God, they don't see turmoil, they'll see peace. They don't see us being overwhelmed, but they see us filled with joy. God, they see the fruit of the Spirit of God at work in us and they cling to us in desperation to know you and to find out what it is. God, may we live our life publicly and Lord, have the courage to take those with us as we bring others home. And Father, today I want to pray that you prompt the Spirit of many that this is their moment to declare their faith in you publicly in baptism. God, it's something you don't just encourage, it's something you command. And so today I want to pray, Lord, in obedience, many would respond to that call, that we as a church family would celebrate those who are part of our community, our family. We're going to let the whole world know that I'm one of Jesus' people. And I give my life to serve His purposes. Lord, would you just by your Holy Spirit right now start prompting hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to get our leaders just to step forward and uh, we're just going to sing a song that picks up this theme of brokenness and grace. Brokenness and grace. If you need to come today and just declare that you need to come home or you need to restart or reset, we'd love to pray for you. I've been visiting life groups and every life group tells me one of the things they'd love to see more is a heart of response. It starts with us. Starts with all of us. If God's doing something in you, just encourage you to have the courage to respond. You're in the best and the safest place. If you need to get baptized, as we're singing, come and see these two wonderful people at the front. They're just going to collect your details and we're going to follow up with you. Why don't we sing? Why don't you respond? God is good. We hope you've been blessed by this message. 
We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.